You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole. I'm just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, as I am every single weekend. I'm so excited to have back with me Oksana Moon. I mean, Christy Morris. It That ring light is really doing wonders for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it totally adds the uh, the golden glow and the tattoos. And that's everything. what that is. Yeah. Okay, that's. Oh, I just I thought maybe it was one of those like you know new filters here for Zoom or something that added. No, it's just the ring light. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Ah, it's Enhancing fantastic. my natural beauty. Mm, that's what it is. Well, and somebody who needs no enhancement to their natural beauty, the one and only Tristan Riddell. Well, thank you so much for the kind comments. I'm super excited to be talking about the sequel to The Mummy, which I had so much fun talking to you guys uh, with uh, however many weeks ago. It feels like it was a while ago, but it probably wasn't. It was a few weeks ago uh, as we talked about The Mummy, and we're going to be back with the... Now, I I don't know. The title, I think, is something like The Mummy Remits, The Mummy Comes Back... The mummy, the mummy returns. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, um, but we're excited to dive into this one. It's so much fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, we we've got a, a fun week coming up next week too. Want to just promo that because we're going to do our three hundred and fiftieth episode. So celebrate with that with us. Um, so many episodes coming at you here on the six hundred two club, and so many more to come. Honestly, we're just getting started, folks. Uh, there's there's always so much to talk about, and with new movies coming out, finally, we're going to get Bond. We're going to get Dune. We're going to get so many movies coming out. We're going to be talking about throughout the end of the year. So stick with us. Make sure you subscribe. Get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a star rating review. Uh, help people find the show that way. And we'll read that review out in the show. And thank you for your review. So uh, you could also find us on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. So follow us in both places. We'd love to interact with you in, in both of those ways. Of course, you can find us online on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. There's a listeners only discussion group called the Babel Conference. You can join, talk to listeners from all over the world. Um, also, too, Go to track.fm slash contact, choose the show, choose the 602 Club, and an email will come to Christy and I if you have uh, some thoughts or questions or something like that that you'd like to send us there. And um, again, you know, we got shows all over the place, so just check out track.fm and see what we're doing there. Um, and then, of course, uh, we would uh, love to have you support us over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash track.fm and see how you can be part of the team. Uh, Chris and I have been hard at work with getting the network revamped also we've got some great things coming out for you um and we definitely need your help so if you love the network and you want it to continue to grow go to patreon.com slash track fm so both of you i'm so excited that we're kind of back here uh with the mummy and of course we are unearthing another mummy and so when you guys heard that they were going to return to this series were you excited? And um, where did you see? It? Did you get a chance to see this in the theaters? Was it something you saw at home? I, uh, I don't really remember the first time that I saw it. Sorry to say, um, but I'm pretty sure it was at home because I think it was at home for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I I'm kind of the same way as you. I don't quite remember when I saw. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater because I love the first one so much. I have no memory of it, but I'm sure that I did. And it was, I I remember reading that the mummy returns was uh, greenlit the morning after the premiere of the mummy. Wow. And like, that's how well it did on opening day that they called up Steven Summers and said, okay, 
you know, like, let's do another one. And I was, I was incredibly stoked. And I, I was, because uh, I love the first one so much. And I love the dynamic be- between Brendan Fraser and, and Rachel Weiss. And, and, uh, and I was not disappointed where I, I got that, that I feel like this one definitely had that chemistry. So it was, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater, but have no memory of it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, this is 2001 for me, which, you know, I'm in college at that point. I'm definitely going to the movies. I don't recall actually, you know, seeing it in the theater, but I know I did uh, because like both of you, uh, you know, I was excited about um, the fact that they were doing this again. You know, I had really and you know i'd enjoyed the first one it had kind of those indiana jones vibes which is great and you know for me you could never have uh too many movies in that genre especially since you know even in 2001 it wasn't really something we were doing a lot um mm-hmm. kind of being in this kind of specific comedy action adventure type film and so i was very you know excited actually to to dive into an, another film here and you know i would say too you know th- and this is really interesting because by the early 2000s we are definitely looking movie theaters and or uh, movie studios are definitely looking to create new genres that they can mine ip wise and, um, you know, they, they want franchises at this point, you know, uh, and it made perfect sense that when you look back, you know, you, you would have a successful movie and you would immediately think, yeah, like you said, Tristan, day after the, the first movie comes out, they're like, nope, we're doing another one of these. It's successful enough. We, we need more. And so, which is, is, you know, the hallmark of every really good film is that, you know, you, you get those opportunities to continue with the story. And so that's something that to me was really the crux of this film, especially rewatching it is the story this time and kind of what brings these characters back. And um, I wanted to talk to you about that because obviously we have to find a reason to resurrect the mummy for him to return. And then we add a new kind of like ultra villain that everybody's going to be kind of wanting to defeat in the Scorpion King. And then we're going to bring some people back from the first movie uh, and so first I just with that, with the whole idea behind the story of why they want to bring the money back, how does that guy work for you guys? I got to say that was both the biggest thing I was the most excited about was to see where they would go with him, but also the most worried about how are they going to handle it? Um, because you do have to have some kind of valid reason. You don't want it to just be feeling like the cash grab sequel that has no actual depth to it. Um, And I think that some elements of it ended up being good. Um, We'll get to the production value later, but I I think that the premise is interesting. Um, And I like that they start off by not just explaining everything to you, but again, you know, sort of starting in the middle of things, um, Starting well, I'm sorry, not not the middle, the beginning with uh, introducing the Scorpion King, so that then they can bring him together with Imhotep and show you why it's such a threat versus Imhotep. Whereas you know before he didn't really have any other competitor that would equal him. Yeah, I was, um, you know, when you when you saw the trailers for it, I was, I was surprised that not only were they bringing back Imhotep, like I thought, you know, when we are going to get a sequel. It's just going to be another mummy. I, I thought it was going to be like some other, you know, person who the was mummified and brother. came back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah or, 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 so, something like that. A um, but I was surprised. Sorry. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I was surprised <laughs> that it, not only did they bring back Imhotep, but they, they brought back, um, an Aksuna moon as well. <laughs> I was just like, how are they going to do that? And, and they brought back, um, Ardeth Bay and Jonathan and yeah, I was really surprised at how many people they brought back where it's kind of like when uh, the, the Pirates movies, you know, like you have Pirate, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of Black Pearl, you know, the chemistry of, of everybody together was really great. But then 
when you see the second one, you're like, ooh, you know, like that, <laughs> that did not work. Maybe they should have just had Jack Sparrow and the adventures of Jack Sparrow. And so part of me was, I'm not, my timeline is off, but I'm just saying that's what I was kind of feeling like is that I was wondering at the time, should it have just been Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss going on another adventure with completely different people? Would that have been mm-hmm. better? Um, but that, this was my concern when I saw the trailer. I'm not saying that that is what I wanted even after I saw the film, but that just, that was my concern. Um, but that, that, that was definitely my surprise, but I think they, I think they pulled it off with how they brought him back and why they brought him back. And, uh, it worked for me. And also, I mean, the rock was at the, the peak of his rockness, Yeah, you know, when this came out, not, not Dwayne Johnson, but like the rock, like of him just being a wrestler and being in that realm he, uh, he wasn't the movie star he is today, obviously, but like that brought a lot of attention. Like that was kind of like when the, um, when the rock was on Star Trek Voyager, you know, yeah, like they, they advertised that. the crap out of that. Mm-hmm. So kind of diving into that a little bit more, you know, the, the storyline is, is that the Scorpion King had been this, this, figure in ancient Egypt who basically had been an incredible warrior, uh, gets defeated, ends up in the desert, gives his soul to one of the Egyptian gods. Anubis. And Anubis, and is allowed to basically then run roughshod over Egypt. Once he conquers Egypt, though, Anubis claims his soul again, and then there's this prophecy about the, like the year of the Scorpion King, and so Imhotep's followers, who are led by a reincarnated Aksunamun, uh, decide that during the year of the Scorpion King, they will resurrect Imhotep so that they can then overthrow him, have his army, and be able to take over the world. Um, It's a lot of mustache twirling. And so, (laughs) like... We really kind of start playing with a lot, of course, um, ideas from, you know, uh, mythology and, and like the idea of being able to, to reincarnate and all those kind of things. So uh, with just that side of the story, Tristan, you kind of alluded to this, but it, it sounds like for you, that part of the story ends up working as it is in the film. Yeah, it does. I, I think it was it was one of those things where... I mean, it's it's a fantastical tale, you know. It, it's it's a mummy, you know, coming back like in rags and uh, you know, like in his his guts I- exposed and everything like that. It, it's it's already fantastical, and we have mummies that pop out of the ground and scarabs that can eat you in five seconds, less than five seconds. And so, you know, like you can you know sprinkle it with whatever fairy dust you want in order to tell the action adventure comedy story that you want to tell and for me it was it didn't break my suspension of disbelief within that world it bent it in more Mm -hmm. than a few places but it never broke it okay i guess i can see that a little i i felt a little differently about it um it felt to me like too many villains um i i wanted basically them to either like you were saying originally tristan go off on a new adventure and maybe just go up against the Scorpion King or for Imhotep to come back and, you know, for a new reason and they have to find a new way to defeat him again. Um, But I think that it got confusing even for my husband who was rewatching it at one point, he was like, wait a minute. So who needs to kill who here? And and so I had to explain it. And I realized I was like, yeah, that did get confusing. Let's not bother about who killed who. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or who needs what scepter. Exactly. So with this part of the story, I'm a little bit more on your side, Tristan. I do think it's not a terrible setup in the sense of like the the why and the how. You know, I don't really have a problem with uh, Aksona Moon kind of being reincarnated and all of that. Christy, a little bit on your side, though, I do feel like that the problem with the Imhotep and the Scorpion King part is that the Scorpion King really gets short shrift here. Like, yeah. there's there's not necessarily a ton of reason for him to be here other than he's just a plot point for 
Imhotep's, you know, followers to bring him back so they can have his army. Um, there's no kind of any development of that character whatsoever than an actual just plot point. And I think that when we talk later is actually what really hurts the end of the film with the climax because you don't care about him. There's no thought process behind him whatsoever as a character. He he literally is just plot point A, you know. And whereas with Imbotep and Oxenamoon, you kind of have some kind of relationship with because we this movie dives further into their story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gives us another vantage point, another uh, from you know from a certain point of view, we get to see them, and that's the other side of the story that I wanted to talk to you both about because we make both Evelyn and Rick not only a part of the story but actually central to the story by c- giving them connections to the past of ancient Egypt in a way that I definitely was not expecting when I saw the trailers for this and then coming into the film. And that's the part I'm I'm also interested to see how you responded to that part of the story. That one I was a little shaky on. I It, it felt like a little too much retconning for my tastes. Uh, I, I don't think it was needed necessarily. I think there would have been ways to write around it. I think there would have been ways for for Rick to discover the use of the scepter without needing to be some sort of neo character, you know, where he's the chosen one, you know, like it just, mm-hmm. it, it, it seems like a hat on a hat. Like it was like, they're already there. They're already treasure hunters. You know, they've already proved their metal in the first one. Um, maybe I could have swallowed it better if like, I think it was the combination of Rick being a chosen one and Evie being a reincarnate reincarnated Nefertiri. I think if we had one or the other, I'd be it'd be fine. I think if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna bring back a Anaxinamun and you want to foil to that, then fine. Let's have Evie be Nefertiri. But to have Rick also be the chosen one, it, it just felt like too much. I feel like both of them. I don't think they needed either of them. Um, but I, I think pick one if you're gonna if you're gonna go in one direction two is too much yeah i'm 100 percent with you i think that having evie be reincarnated um was really cool and especially having her be the pharaoh's daughter watching her father's mistress then go off with someone else and feeling betrayed in that way too i thought that was really cool and added a lot more to evie and the reason that she's already interested in all of this history and stuff and her having these visions and then them becoming real i thought that was really cool but the reveal of rick having the tattoo and not really remembering when and why he got it in the first place it just felt like it was a, a an unearned moment um and you could have rick have this agency without ever needing that piece added to his story yeah i agree with you there but he did say he got it slapped on his wrist he got he said he's like i got that slapped on me in an, an orphanage in cairo okay is what he said okay so i forgot that then. not not saying that that means anything <laughs> i'm just saying he does remember where he got okay <laughs> man that's the worst uh that's the worst orphanage ever you know just like, slapping tattoos on people. like yeah <laughs> Man. They're tattooing children and just this one child. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, rewatching the film, I was reminded how every movie in the 2000s needed to add this extra layer to the heroes. It felt like something you had to do to everything. Like, it wasn't enough to have a hero, but the hero had to be extra special. And um, I I responded kind of badly to it this time, rewatching this film, because like both of you, in many ways, even though the Evelyn one works better, it's just not needed. It it just feels like too much. And, and I think what it does is it just adds too much to the story so that by focusing on Evelyn there... We never really, again, like I kind of mentioned before, we never focus on the Scorpion King at all as a character. 
He's just this nebulous plot point that doesn't really matter. And it is interesting to have this idea of giving us the opportunity to spend more time with Oksana Moon and with Emitap, but at the same time, like you said, Tristan, I do feel like there's a better way to write the story so it's cleaner and easier and allows you to kind of, kind of maybe, I, I would have liked it more if the Scorpion King had, had been the one that had something to do with that backstory more so, so that you're like, that that's the triangle that you end up with rather than what we kind of end up with, with Evie there. Um, and uh, can I just say, I, you know, um, it was, I never needed to see mummy make out. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, and then of course, you know, absolutely with Rick, it just one, there's really no good payoff to it mm-hmm. in the movie. Like, it's just that he like sees the scepter on the wall and then he sees the tattoo and it's like, but there's, but there's no real payoff for the character whatsoever. No. So no, there's just, it. yeah. And I mean, it, and he could have literally just seen the scepter on the wall without seeing the tattoo. Like it, again, he doesn't need to be special. He just needs to be him, yeah. which is the guy who just kind of ends up in these adventures. And, and especially at this point, cause he's in love with this woman who is enamored with this stuff. Like he's just along for the ride, you know? And, and actually that's more interesting than him being some sort of, quasi chosen one but he's not really a chosen one because he's not chosen really to do anything special other than just be who he would normally be anyway well no he's supposed to be i was just gonna add he's supposed to be like one of the magi but they don't really go into that very well (laughs) and then there's no follow-up and there's no yeah it's just it's it's not neat it it, the the payoff isn't really a payoff when it's that obvious Mm mm-hmm like 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 rushing like you said like he just saw it on the wall like he didn't need to see the symbol to get the idea that the spear does something um but rushing one thing i i i want to you've mentioned it twice now about how you felt like the scorpion king was just a plot point i agree that it would have been cooler if they had a little bit more backstory with him like if he was connected to maybe the assassination plot a little bit more. I, I I agree that that would have been cool. But at the same time, I don't think it's a negative that he... W- I, I don't think it's a negative the way that it is now. Because he's just a big bat. You know, like he, he is the monster. Like, yeah, we see him as a human in the beginning. But he's just the monster that they have to defeat at the end of the movie. I don't think we nece- necessarily need to see depth. It would have mm-hmm. been cool if we sure. did. But I feel like there's so many movies where, you know, the monster at the end is like the final big boss battle. You know, like you mm-hmm. don't really need character depth for that monster at the end. But sure. I think it's because we got teased at the beginning where he was human and mm-hmm. we see a little bit of backstory. Mm-hmm. Like, I think our brains are kind of yeah. like, well, where's the middle? We see the beginning and the end, but where's the middle? And then they made they made a movie called yeah. Scorpion King. Um, but I... But I, I I don't want you to think that I'm just disagreeing with you because I sure, do think that would have sure. been cool if they tied it in with the assassination, had some sort of bad blood between the two. And I think I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. And I, I tend to agree with you that you don't always have to have that. I think the what became the issue with this specifically was the way in which the actor playing Emotep had come in specifically in the first movie and he didn't want his villain to be just a mustache twirling villain, you know, and he had worked very diligently with the director to create a villain to which had some motivation. We talked about the last time how there was mm-hmm. depth to this villain. You could kind of understand maybe even his reasoning, um, you know, the the fact that there is this love and, you know, this this kind of thing. And... So, I think the first movie kind of hurts the fact that the Scorpion King doesn't get that development as well, because I kind of am expecting it, I think, because of the first movie. Now, we get more depth, the Imhotep character, we just don't get it with the Scorpion King, and so it's it's not, a, it's not like, terrible. It's not, like, the worst sin in the movie, right? It's just... 
I think the first movie kind of left me wanting more because the first movie had given me more in the first place. Mm -hmm. So um, I I guess my only expectation, I'm not really comparing it to other films. It's just what I came in with from the original uh, work. And and so, uh, but I mean, it in and of itself, it's not terrible because again, we kind of still have the threat here is the mummy returns. It's not the Scorpion King. It is Mm -hmm. the mummy returns and his return is still about him trying to use some kind of other power to be able to take over the world again, you know? And so it's, it's not a major detriment that the Scorpion King is really only a plot point. It just would have been nice if, it had been less so. So absolutely, Tristan. I think it's a it's a very valid point. And it, again, it that's not the thing that I feel like ruins the movie story wise. To me, the thing that kind of frustrates me story wise really becomes the fact that they're trying to do too much story with the Evelyn thing, with the Rick thing, with what's happening with the Scorpion King, Oksana Moon, and Imhotep. There's so many of those moving pieces, and it feels like just choose a few of those so you can really focus on them more so that you can flesh that out and so that the movie feels cleaner and you you have an even better hook. And, and that's where, again, completely cut the Rick part and just allow Evelyn to kind of be the chosen one, basically, mm-hmm. uh, or the reincarnated chosen one. Well, and then you're forgetting the other piece that then makes this even more of a huge mess of things that are at, all thrown in story points wise. They now have a child um, and yeah, he's got his own story. Although I thought the actor was adorable. Um, it's uh, like you were saying, Matt, I, I do feel like it's a lot of different stories trying to happen at the same time. And that's what becomes kind of a weakness for it. And it sucks, too, because mm-hmm. they do have the all the cast basically back, at least the main players, um, and you want it to be good. So that's a that's a great point, Christy. They, they have a son named Alex. How does that play for you here in the movie? Does it work? Does it does it help the movie? Or do you feel like that might be another place where if you kind of cut that, that it would actually help the movie be able to focus on some other areas and allow a little more cohesion? I think he was actually okay. Um, I, I think that if they had cut some other things down and p- spent more time on the son and the parents and Imhotep again, then it would have been cleaner, like you were saying. Um, because I do think that the actor does a great job of playing the role of the son. And I think that has he has some interesting story points with the bracelet and the map sort of of where they need to go. Um, sometimes I think they lean into a, the joke a little bit too much with him, but that that's the writing, not the kid. I don't think you can cut him out or cut his character because his character is the driving force of the plot. Mm-hmm. Like you, if you, if you remove him, you have to completely rewrite the movie and you have a completely different movie. And, uh, I I personally don't like children in movies. I don't, I don't <laughs> like ch- child actors. It 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 really it's such a hurdle sometimes. But I like Alex and I I like Freddie Boath and I, I thought that he did a great job. I I think he he was only annoying a few times, kind of like Christine said. You know, like uh, there's just a few times when he kind of leans in the joke too hard. He's the you know he's the comic relief a little too much. But overall, in terms of child actors that I can stand, he's he's very much at the uh, near the top of the list. Um, and apparently, the actor, the child actor Freddie Boath, was such a fan of the original movie that he was the expert on set. Like it was his favorite movie. He's seen it thirty times. He had it memorized. And so, even Stephen Summers and certain crew members would come to him and say, "Like, hey, what did they say in this scene?" And he would just recite it for them. Aww. And so he was like the archivist <laughs> of this of this movie, and uh, I just when I when I heard that I was just like, oh man, it makes me love that performance even more. Are you sure that wasn't you, Tristan? <laughs> <laughs> it could have been me. I was a bit old at the time. Oh, but <laughs> okay. Well, it is it is pretty funny that that's the case because you know that's how 
kids are with films. They find their favorite movie and then they just watch it 30 times in a row, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think that is really great. And I don't think that obviously you can't really cut him out of the movie because yes, it's a completely different movie without him. And I think the thing that I kind of don't respond to as well with that part of the storyline. And it's, Part of the thing that's a little bit frustrating, I think, for me in the sense of the way that they also set up Evelyn in the film, which is everything that happens in this movie is a comedy of errors by people messing with things that they should know they shouldn't be messing with in the first place. And um, so Alex is just like his mother, Evelyn. He can't help himself to touch something or open something or put something on his wrist when, like, nobody in their right mind would do that, but they're not in their right minds. And so, um, and it becomes this kind of comedy of errors where you, you do these things and it leads to the next thing happening. And if you hadn't done that thing, then none of that would have happened. So I like that sometimes in films, but then there are other times where I... This movie, it's riding a really thin line of these characters that to which should know better and still do it anyway. And they even call that out earlier in the movie with Evelyn and Rick talking Mm -hmm. about how, like, should you really be opening that? Do we really need to open that? Of course you're going to open that. Um, and and, And so they by bringing attention to it, it almost makes it worse because none of the stuff would happen without that. And I think... It works in like a Chevy Chase movie where it's like National Lampoon's vacation and every single thing that happens in that movie is because Chevy Chase pretty much makes a really stupid decision that leads to the next stupid decision. And this, I guess, maybe Indiana Jones has ruined me a little bit and that Indy's not that stupid and things happen to him even though he is trying to avoid them happening. Um, You know, like he's smart enough to know maybe I should put a bag of sand on the idle thing so that I can, you know, keep bad things from happening. Like, it just doesn't happen to work out. But at least he's thought it through, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny that you bring up Indy in that way, though, because in... um in Raiders, like he has no effect on the plot. That's like, he may be not smart, true. That's <laughs> yes, not, it is. No, it's yes, not it true. No, we are this not going to go down. No, we are not going to go down. We are known. not going to go down that that big uh, that um, that stupid Big Bang Theory episode where she thinks she points out all the things that he doesn't do. That is BS on that every did, single level. That did not start on Big Bang. That's, I'm just I, okay, saying. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to talk true. about it, but it did not start on Big Bang. <laughs> we should quit uh, while we're ahead with that just one. Just <laughs> saying it's not true. And if you believe that, it's totally, uh, you're believing a lie. So mm-hmm. anyway. I'm just going to say uh, it's your show. It's your show. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's a whole other argument um but no i i think he i mean uh as like tristan you said child actors are really tough you know and i'm kind of with you it is very difficult to have a really good child actor i mean let's just look at like the phantom menace you know it's it's difficult right and there are very few of them that really work out well it just it's just the case in film like you you are very blessed if you get the right actor that can really do the role justice that you're asking them to do mm-hmm. and here i think Freddie Barth does a great job for the most part i i you know I, I think he he plays it well and he's kind of got a great combination between his parents personalities you know he's curious and he's kind of brash, like his dad, you know? And so you put those two things together, and it works. And so um, we've talked a lot about the Scorpion King, but Tristan, you alluded to this in our first episode in that this might be the absolute worst CGI I've ever seen in a film when the Scorpion King returns as an actual... Scorpio rock. I don't even uh, what the the 
Rockian. I, I don't know what you consider this, but it's it's absolutely atrocious. Everybody that is involved in this should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, it's okay. I think that last bit is a little is a little rough because like I, I agree with you that it's ho- it's horrible CGI and it it really is too bad that it wound up this poor. Um, but as someone who has worked in movies and is continues to work in video production, not movies, but in, continues in video production, so so much is 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 dependent on time and budget and oversight and everything like that Mm -hmm. and so i really hate to blame the artists who made them um Mm -hmm. because like they were working on it um up until eight days before release and on a movie that was still shipped out on film that's a huge deal like that's a huge deal and uh so they there there was budget constraints there was time crunches there was thing like this was a very CGI heavy movie this was oh, this yeah, had more absolutely. this had more CGI than the first one i think they overextended their reach i mm-hmm. think they overextended their budget um i think they were um you know Christine rushing you both said that they kind of they tried to do too much in this film and i think the, the CGI was a little um mm-hmm in endemic i'm not using that word right uh, of this but like it was a uh it, it's kind of it was a res, it was a result of them trying to accomplish too much with the story uh too much with the um with the visuals with with everything and and so yeah it really sucks that this the mummy returns a, a movie that i like uh is mainly known for how horrible the cgi was specifically for the rock and for um the scorpion king now i remember when i watched it um at home like when it first came out like when i got the vhs and everything like that a vhs hides a lot of sins um but i remember seeing it (laughs) 480 television yep (laughs) yeah oh man oh and vhs specifically was less than 480 like Mm -hmm. it was such a crap quality um but it was uh it kind of made me like when i saw it i was just like oh that's not very good but you just you know you move on from it but then when DVD came out and then Blu-ray came out and now on 4K, you know, it kind of revitalized this hatred and disgust mm-hmm. for the Scorpion King. I saw, I think like three months ago, I saw a YouTube video where some modern CGI crew tries to recreate the Scorpion King using modern technology. It didn't look that much better. Um, it looked better, but it didn't look that much better. But yeah, it's just... Even today, like this is, you know, 20 years later, we're still talking about how horrible the CGI mm-hmm. was, even for the time. I think that's yeah. the thing is that you can't judge it. It's hard to judge uh, a movie right. when um, it does the best that it can for its time. Mm-hmm. This was not one of those cases. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I saw an excellent comparison where somebody else said Phantom Menace came out before this movie and had better CGI than this movie does for its time. So, it, yeah, it it just purely, I think, was the time crunch um, and then also budget constraints. Um, the problem is that they should have then just delayed release to make a good product <laughs> than forever being known for this one slip up in this movie. Um, because it's on, like, I mean, lists of worst CGI of movies ever, um, Mm-hmm. along with like the lawnmower man and some other ones uh, i don't know if y'all right. have seen that one but ooh. um well yeah and it's it, it's and i do want to say too like you know obviously having a friend who works and has worked for you know ilm and and you know those kind of things i totally understand the realities of what it comes to with the visual effects industry mm-hmm. and and ilm did this the, one yeah and I think the problem with this one is the fact that this movie, it, in and of itself, you, Tristan, you mentioned this, this has an incredible amount of VFX shots, and all of them are terrible. It's not just this one. Like, none of them hold up to the what we had come to expect from, like, The Phantom Menace or any of the films after that, you know? You mean you didn't like uh, The Pygmies? Uh, no, um, I was like, I and of course, you know, um, the uh, Anubis's army, 
Uh, It doesn't look great either. And so it's, it's not, it's, it's really not just us kind of picking on the Scorpion King as a representation of the CGI, but he is the best representation of the way in which this is a movie that overreached itself. And I think, you know, uh, forgive me for, for, uh, defending, you know, George Lucas, but this is the place in which the prequels, especially with The Phantom Menace, had not tried to push the boundary to the point of breaking. This movie breaks what's possible in CGI at the time. It's just not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and especially with the time crunch, the budget crunch that you put this movie under as well, you're just not going to get the product that you need so that it can shine the way that you would want it to. Um, and, you know, I love the fact that, in all honesty, I really do, I love the fact that the creators of films, especially here, are starting to think way outside the box. Like, what could we do? How could we bring stories to life in a way that we never thought possible? It's just not possible yet with the way in which they're trying to do it here, which is disappointing. Um, and so, uh, you know, and I do think that in the end, it really does hurt the rest of the movie, uh, because the whole end of the film is such a visual mess that I I find it quite distracting from enjoying the rest of the movie itself. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think, you know, like you were saying, it's the Scorpion King himself is not the only bad CGI you see in this movie. Um, The pygmies were bad, although funny. Um, The all of the oasis being sucked back into the pyramid looked really bad. Um, You see, you know, you can like tell the actors are in front of a green screen for sure. Um, And, you know, the the Anubis army as well. I'm glad you called that out, Matt, because the marching dogs looked really bad. Um, and yeah, I mean, if they, I think if they, if they had just had more time, even that would have done it some good. Um, but at least it's not the only thing it's known for. <laughs> well, and what's interesting is that the Lord of the Rings has come out too. And they've already used the massive, the the massive you know uh, army creation software mm-hmm. to create massive armies in the Fellowship of the Ring, and so it is possible to make armies that are not human look good. Mm-hmm. It's just they. I don't know if they just don't have access to that, which is disappointing because, you know, uh, Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers knock it out of the park when it's in in that way, even now. Um, so I well, maybe when I did just, um when did Two Towers come out? Uh, because uh, the from from what I remember, the Two Towers is um, wasn't it two thousand two? Wasn't it the same year? Uh yeah, two thousand two. Yeah, so yeah, um, it's just the year after the Mummy, you know. But they're working on. I mean, the year before that, you had had the Fellowship of the Ring come out, and the, you know, you had the um prologue that had had the massive armies there, and so, um, yeah. I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to you know beat a dead mummy, um, <laughs> but it's it it's just disappointing so i do want to ask you guys though about the action in this film because we have a ton of action set pieces and i wanted to ask you how that lived up for you especially in comparison um to the first film i thought the action was really good uh, actually as far as e- even though the additional story with evie wasn't necessary uh i thought that the fighting between her and Anoxin Moon was really good. Um, I liked that the addition of, you know, having Alex and Jonathan then involved in some of the fighting toward the end again um, was kind of funny. And um, I, I think that it was cool getting to see more of the Magi this time and them trying to fight the army of Anubis. So 
yeah, I, I think overall the action was pretty good. I, the only thing that I think didn't hold up, of course, was the scene with them walking through the field of pygmies because, eh, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a trope that we've seen in a lot of films before. Of, you know, they're walking through swampy area and suddenly get taken down one by one. Heck, we've seen it in Rambo. <laughs> I, I really, I love the action in this one. I thought it was really well done. I thought the pacing was great. I really love that we got some sword fighting and um, we got some fighting with swords and size. And, and um, I really loved the scene inside the mansion. Wayne, Ma- Wayne Manor. I mean, O'Connell Manor. Excuse yeah. Me. Um, <laughs> Thank <right>? you. <laughs> I knew you would call that out. <laughs> and yeah, I really love that stuff. Like when, when Evie was, was fighting and, and um, Alex was like, where did you learn that? And she's like, I have no idea. And then she headbutts him and is like, that I learned from your father. Like, that's the kind of family humor that I'm like, <laughs> that's yeah. where my dad, my dad, in my inside, my dad humor starts slapping its knee. Um, and uh, I love uh, the inclusion of Lachna um, as kind of a foil to, to Ardeth. Um, and for some reason, like that moment when he, he takes off his, when um, Lachna takes off his cape and then, you know, you know, throws it up and says like, Ale! and then they start fighting. I'm just like, ah, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, all, all of it. I love all the action scenes. Like, yeah, the CGI was is a mess at the, specifically at the end. Um, but I thought all the action was really great and uh, the fighting between Imhotep and Rick with the double swords yeah. um, was really, I like, you don't get very many great sword fighting movies anymore and so I'm really yeah, great that true. we, they very pulled true. it off here. And ringing of the symbol, Imhotep got to ring a giant symbol. Gong. That's got to be on a bucket list. The gong, yeah. that's right. Yeah, who doesn't want to ring a gong? Uh, Tristan, I, I like that you call that, I think... For me, I'm I'm very similar in the sense that I think for the most part the the action set pieces here work, um, and until you reach the end of the film, once once they reach the you know Garden of Eden uh, or the Garden of Egypt, uh, mm-hmm. here I think it doesn't really work. None of the action set pieces really work very well because they're all uh, too big and too busy to CGI infested. Um, and actually even before that, you know, when they're flying to, um, the, the garden there with, you know, the whole wall, the whole wall of water, Mm. none of that works either. Um, because it all looks terrible. Um, but everything else I really enjoyed. And part of that is because so much of it is, is very, you know, grounded, you know, I loved the fight on the bus. I thought that was really fun and, and goofy. That is, and, I forgot about that one. That is a yeah. great fight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that stuff, again, it, it all works for me really well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, in, in the end, you know, the, the, the movies, this movie continues what we did with the first movie is to, to have some really great fun action set pieces, which is fantastic. So, um, I guess one of the things, though, that I am also really interested because we had a disagreement about this the last time, which was fascinating to me, was about the music. And this time we bring in a new composer. So it's not Jerry Goldsmith. It is Alan Silvestri, uh, who, you know, we come to be known for things like the Avengers theme uh, and whatnot. So. Uh, how does that work for both of you, especially since you both really appreciated the soundtrack the last time? I thought it was fine. Like, I, I thought it was... I, I know this word has a negative connotation to it, but I thought it was serviceable. It did its job. Um, I definitely missed Goldsmith because I felt like uh, Silvestri had less of the... Egypt themes, you know, like it had less of the instruments of the region. Um, and so I, I, I definitely missed that. Like when I, when I listen to the mummy soundtrack, I feel like I'm in the desert. I feel like I'm in the time period. And with Silvestri, it just kind of felt like an action film, but it wasn't a bad action film score. It just didn't evoke the same kind of emotions that I got with the first one. Yeah. I'm kind of with you as well, Tristan. I think where this one kind of shined a little bit was in the romantic scenes. I do think that Silvestri did a great job with those. And it really, true. to me, comes across like that um, classic 
romantic, you know, um, men and woman kissing in the sunset kind of feel. It, it reminds me of like why I like parts of uh, Mask of Zorro and, you know, things like that. Um, but I think otherwise, exactly like you said, it's it's OK. It feels like he is also trying to have it be sim- similar enough to the original Goldsmith score um, and try to put his own touch on it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's OK. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, um, you know, I'm I'm on a different plane than you on both on this one and, and that I like it better. Um, I, I think um, it's much more fun in the action set pieces, mainly because um, the action set piece music doesn't all sound the same. Um, and I think to me, uh, actually, Sylvester is able to kind of create a slightly more memorable theme than we got with Goldsmith, which is what I want, like he's able to create a theme and then he uses that theme throughout some of the action set piece music, which, which I, I want in this type of film, you know, again, I think for me, I'm on the side more of like an Indiana Jones where I, I want there to be a specific theme for these characters and, or um, just the franchise itself that kind of plays um, when, you know, big moments happen. And I think, to me, he just pulls that off better. Um, but, you know, in the end, I will say this, neither of the scores still are super standouts to me, which is frustrating because I think it would have pushed it over the edge to really have had, like, to me, The Mummy should have a theme to which I can remember that I could sing along with E.T., Superman, Indiana Jones, any of the rest of them, that's what I'm looking for in this type of film. Um, because so you wanted I, Williams to do it. Basically, <laughs> basically, I well, I, I would say I I want, and this is the frustrating thing because Jerry Goldsmith can absolutely do that. Obviously, he did Rudy, he did Star Trek. You know, I mean, he has plenty of great places where he did great themes. Even I think you know his score for um, Air Force One is great. Like you know, he's he's not bad with theme. You know. He just didn't really create one that I thought was as memorable as those type of themes. And that's, I I think, may, maybe it's just my own expectation, but when it comes to these type of films, it feels like that you should have a, a theme that I hum on my way out of the theater. Mm-hmm. And Sylvester got a little bit closer. Um, I just wished combined that somebody had really come up with something that just kind of, you know, blew my hair back. Um, I can say that because John Mills isn't here and he won't get offended. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I guess in the end, it kind of comes down to something that I am fascinated to to hear from both of you, which is we're at The Mummy Returns. It's the second movie in the franchise. We're not going to be covering the, first, the third movie um, for many various reasons, um, one, because I think we would probably all give that movie a good whopping D or maybe an F, you know. Um, so where do you come down, though, on ratings for The Mummy Returns? I have a huge soft spot for this film. I can't argue with 85% of what you guys have said. <laughs> <laughs> um this this movie definitely has its flaws it's not as strong as the first one it it it's but i do believe that it carries the spirit of the first one i feel like it has the chemistry it has the spirit it has the drive it has um the fun it has the adventure i think it, it it works in a lot of ways but it is deficient in a lot of ways that the first one wasn't so if this movie was on its own, you know, like if we did, if we didn't have it to compare to the first one, I feel like maybe we'd think about it more favorably than we do now. But because the first one was so great and damn near perfect in so many ways, I feel like it makes the fall a little bit farther and harder with the second one. But that being said, with all the positives that I said, I really like this film. I really like this film. Whenever I watch The Mummy, I immediately watch The Mummy Returns. It's always a double bill. 
And so I'm giving it a very sympathetic three and a half stars. Makes sense. And, you know, I'm glad, too, that you say, you know, up front, like it's something that is also just a happy place for you and that you always watch both of them if you're going to watch one of them. And um, so, you know, it's it's not just sitting down and completely objectively watching something, which I don't think any of us can do anyway. Um, And that's cool. I I kind of feel the same in a lot of ways. I think that a because it's Brendan Fraser and he was such a part of a lot of the movies of my childhood and teen years that I'm always going to have a soft spot for stuff that he's especially starring in. Um, I was a George of the Jungle kid and he was awesome in that. So me too. Um, yeah, it just seeing him in this as the hero. It was like, oh my gosh, I get to see someone else in kind of an indie role, but you know, not quite as great as Harrison Ford, but still good. Um, so it, it, for the most part was still something I enjoy a lot. And I, I, I like to go back and watch sometimes, but still doesn't quite hold up to me um, the same that the mummy did. So I'm going to give it uh, three and a half stars as well. Um, because I think that it's better than a 50%, but that I, I do wish there were a lot of things that had been drawn back a little bit. Um, and of course, like we all said, some better CGI. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm close to you guys, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely going to be generous in my rating. Um, I'm going to give this three out of five stars. I do think it's probably closer to two and a half out of five, honestly. But I think that Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss are just so enjoyable to watch on screen that I'll bump it up there. And I think I could have been much harsher, I feel like, with some of the story decisions that they make um, script-wise and everything. But, you know, I just, I don't feel like it. You know, it's 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 really... It's not that bad. Um, and and I, Tristan, I do like the way, though, that you had compared this to what they do with the Pirates franchise because I kind of feel like that the Pirates franchise, especially with the second movie, maybe not as much the third movie, but especially that second movie falls into a lot of these traps. Um, and it's just a difficult thing to do. You're making a sequel. And so, I, yeah, I'm just going to be generous, though, and I'm going to say this is three out of five, and I definitely, you know, had fun rewatching it. Not as much as the first film, but, you know, that's okay. And I think the Mummy franchise is definitely one that I'll enjoy continuing, just kind of return to every once in a while when I'm just kind of looking for very light, goofy entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to complain that a movie isn't full of like thematic elements every, you know, like sometimes I want that and I need that. So I I think that this works well. Um, Well, we're definitely at the time now of the show where we give some recommendations to listeners here of the 602 club. And so Tristan, what do you want to recommend to the listeners of the 602 club? Um, I've been, I've been rewatching this is going to this is going to sound crazy but I've been rewatching all of the Alexander cuts made by Oliver Stone. <laughs> wow. I, uh, I, yeah, I know. I I'm probably I feel like the only person who likes this movie and I can't defend it. Can't defend it. Not going to. Uh but there's there's the theatrical cut, the revisited cut, the final cut and the ultimate cut. <laughs> and so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying like, this is, this is a long process. That's, I'm not like doing this in a weekend or something like that, but like, I just, I just hit the ultimate cut and uh, I did that today. And um, it's, if you guys, if anyone's listening, saw it and kind of like the theatrical, you should definitely try the ultimate cut it really fleshes out a whole lot more and the rhythm is completely different. And I just want people to give it another shot. And that's what I'm going to recommend. Nice. Okay. Nice. It's kind of like how uh, kingdom of heaven. I know you're a huge fan of the director's cut above the theatrical cut, which, you know, maybe we should just do some time on the show because I have never seen the, the director's cut and I, I keep meaning to watch it, but it is interesting. 599 because- on Blu-ray on Amazon right now. 
Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. See, but that's the thing is sometimes director's cuts can actually have a huge difference on whether or not you like a film. Of course, you know, you guys on uh, House Lights just did um, Apocalypse Now, which has a thousand cuts as well. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, and, you know, the first cut is the deepest, whatever. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that's really interesting. And I've never seen. So let me ask you this, Tristan. If you were going to recommend one of the Alexander cuts, because this is fascinating to me, which one would you recommend having seen them all? I I like the ultimate cut the most. It's, it's the one that uh, Stone likes. It's the one that he spent the most time on. And if you look at Revisited and Final, like you can tell that he kind of goes back and forth on what he's trying to do because like you have... Final cut is after revisited. So, oh, let's, so, so the third cut, what, if you look at the third cut, the third cut's actually shorter than the second cut, but it's different. Like he, in the, in the second cut, he added 18 minutes, but in the third cut, he removed nine, but it, it's actually, it's really convoluted. Um, but with ultimate cut, it feels much more balanced. It's not chronological where you're, it's not where you see the, the beginnings of, alexander's life as a kid and as a young man and then his rise to become king when philip his his father is assassinated a spoiler alert for those who aren't up to 300 bc history and uh but like the ultimate cut intercuts it so it creates a driving force that the theatrical cut very much lacked so i definitely recommend the the ultimate cut it's long it's three hours and 26 minutes i think uh but it's 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 well worth it in my opinion very nice. Very it's also nice. a very adult movie for those who are, are listening. Oh, good to know. <laughs> uh, so my recommendation this week is actually going to be something that sort of like we said about The Mummy Returns is something that I think is just kind of a um, palate cleanser movie, I'll say. It's not supposed to be anything profound, but I enjoy it. And um, it was on my mind recently because I got to meet um, Tom Welling at Dragon Con. Um, but it's The Fog from 2005. Don't know if y'all have seen it, but it was a remake of the movie The Fog. Um, and, you know, sort of the storyline, if no one's familiar, is like it's about the sins of your forefathers, of um, this group of people that had uh, murdered a colony of lepers purely because they were afraid of them. And so then, you know, the fog is supposed to be like the ghosts of the past coming back. Um, but it, like I said, it's not like it, this incredible piece of cinema, but it's a good like thriller kind of movie. If you're in the mood for that, for, you know, Halloween coming up. And I thought Tom Welling was good. And it, it also has a shower scene. So you mean with Tom Welling? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. I figured we're just going to cruise yeah. on past that. Yeah, it's kind of like in, uh, you know, uh, Batman v Superman. There, if you get the Ultimate Edition, there's a shower scene with uh, Ben Affleck too. So, who wants that though? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he, not, anyway, um, um, let's let's just skip on past that. Like you said, uh, I'm going to recommend. I just watched. I really wanted to see it in the theater. I just this weekend was crazy, so I, I watched it at home. I watched the brand new Clint Eastwood movie, Cry Macho. Mm. Um, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for watching what uh, he does uh, in his later years here as director. And I am also kind of a sucker for movies to which want to discuss what it means to be a man um, and to watch somebody who kind of defined machoism and manhood for so long create this movie was really fascinating to me. And I just enjoyed it. Um, and so it's on HBO Max. It's in the theater. Go see it. Uh, it's fantastic. Also, uh, quick side note, I'd also say, you know, thank God No Time to Die is finally coming to the theaters. I have my tickets. I can't wait. Mm. Um, and I had friends over this weekend. We watched the first two uh, Craig movies. I, I recommend go back and watch the Craig movies as well. So I'm going to give two recommendations uh, before you see No Time to Die so you're fully ready to appreciate the two hours and like 43 minutes to which this movie is going to be. I, I'm super excited. I, that's, that's ridiculous. That's such an understatement. Um, I could not be more excited. So, uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us here in the 602 club. Uh, so, 
Tristan, would people uh, aren't listening to you here uh, talk about The Mummy, where else could people find you if they wanted to catch up with you? Well, they can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter at the insane robin you can also find me at the nerd party network by going to the nerdparty.com i have two shows there one called house lights where we take a director and uh, review every single uh movie that they've uh, directed in temporal order uh, but if they have a, a fairly robust filmography we try to split it up in a way that makes sense and uh, i also have a star trek show called second contact a lower decks commentary podcast it's a lot of fun it's uh, you can listen to it and have fun uh, while watching the episode or even if you're commuting. So you can check that out there at the nerdparty.com. Nice. Uh, yeah, actually, I, uh, Christy, you can find me, of course, on Instagram and Twitter at Best Ben Bell. And when I'm not here on 602 with Matt, I also do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa, where we cover geeky things we don't usually get to cover. Um, I know I've said we're, we've been on a bit of a break because Amanda got married, but we're coming back. I promise. Sorry it's been so long. Well, and, uh, you know, you might actually hear Amanda on the 602 Club sometime soon. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you can also find uh, me, Matt Rushing, uh, all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 So just search the platform and I'm probably there. Uh, you can also find me here on the network, um, of course, with Snyder Cuts here in the feed. John Mills and I, we do have coming up, and I do mean this around the corner here, starting in October, Assembling Avengers, as we will walk through every single Marvel movie and give the movie a fair shake. How does it live up without hype? We're going to go through it. It's going to be super fun. If you love what we did on Snyder Cuts, you're going to absolutely love Assembling Avengers. You can also find me uh, here on the network doing The Orb as well as Literary Treks. The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Trek's about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And you might want to subscribe to Warp 5 because, yes, Chris Jones and I have a great surprise coming out for you as we release this show. This week, we are going to be walking through the entire run of Star Trek Enterprise to celebrate 20 years of Star Trek Enterprise. If that doesn't make you feel old, I don't know what does. Uh, Otherwise, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network with Tristan. One of the places I am is on Owl Post with Dre Kaufman. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And a course of negotiations with the aforementioned John Mills. It's a Star Wars show. If you love Star Wars, I'm telling you, this is the show for you. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.